Midlands Today, thanks to Tullamore Motors Opal, home of the new Opal Astra, Continental Tires Irish Compact Car of the Year 2023. Available to order now. Visit us on Church Road, Tullamore for more. When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning. Coming up today, how difficult is it to get a GP in your area? And is there an easy fix the government hasn't thought of? Vandalism. Not once, but twice at a church in the Midlands. And a fundraiser is underway again to try and repair it. And how do you feel about solar farms on them there hills? Would they be an eyesore or is it just a necessary part of the mix of renewable energy? When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Let's take a look at the front pages this morning. RTE told to come clean on exit pay. That is the top story on the Irish Examiner this morning. And Simon Coveney is tied into this insofar as his brother Rory Coveney was the ex-director of strategy at RTE who received a payment when he left the organisation and Minister Simon Coveney is being asked how much it was because obviously there's a familial connection and it's probably a question he would rather not be getting. That's on the front of the Irish Examiner on the Irish Independent. New inquiry after second girl dies suddenly at University Hospital Limerick. This is a second teenager in the space of three weeks. And she died on the 29th of January, hours after being rushed to the hospital, suffering with breathing difficulties. Moving then to the Irish Daily Mail. We have lost confidence in RTE chief over €200,000 for Coveney. This apparently a quote attributed to a senior member of the cabinet. So not just the former director general, D Forbes, in the firing line, but it seems her successor, Kevin Backhurst, is falling out of favour as well. Very grim story on the front of the Irish Sun. Evil so close to home. It says a monster who kicked his uncle to death was jailed for life yesterday and he wasn't able to give any reason for his attack two years ago. The niece of the man who died says the chilling reality of evil so close to home. Final front page for you now, the Irish Times, the solicitor Michael Lynn, who was jailed yesterday for five and a half years after stealing nearly 18 million euro from banks. A sprawling investigation involving searches of five properties. And Gorthy believe that he returned to Ireland with a substantial amount of money to bankroll a fresh criminal enterprise, it says. So, that's a selection of what's 
on the front pages. Shall we go inside? If you're a political anorak, Leo Varadkar has some egg on his face today because the Fine Gael leader and indeed party headquarters had favoured the junior minister, Josepha Madigan, to run for the European Parliament in the Dublin constituency. But it seems grassroots didn't like her and she finished last in the race for the nomination. And instead, Regina Doherty will represent the party. So Leo Varadkar, perhaps out of touch with some of the grassroots within his ranks. A new vaccine is being promised for children who suffer with respiratory viruses on a regular basis. RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, is that how you pronounce it? Anyway, RSV is what people commonly know it as. It's been uh, rampant this year and indeed last year as well. And the National Immunisation Advisory Committee is recommending this vaccine for infants and also for people aged 65 and over. That story in the Irish Times this morning, which also, by the way, does a comparison on energy prices to see where you can get the best deals on electricity and gas at the moment. They give the whole context there. But anyway, bottom line, you know energy has the best fixed tariff rate currently, but it's a very tight pack. Only €20 a year more would be SSE electricity. A fraction ahead of that is Flowgas. Electric Ireland in fourth. Bordgosh Energy in fifth. And you have to do the calculations, especially if you have solar panels, for instance. How much do you sell the excess back to the grid at? And do you have uh, a smart meter, in which case you can avail of low rates at certain times of the day? which may be in your interest if you perhaps work on shifts and you will do much of your washing uh, late in the evening. Anyway, Irish Times has a good breakdown of how to find the best deal today. Bad news if you work in tech. TikTok has said it will cut hundreds of jobs worldwide. Doesn't say how many in Ireland, but about 3,000 people are currently employed by the social media platform here. And they say they are committed to safeguarding more and more of their community. So they're undertaking a redesign of their training and quality team. So I don't know why, if they're so committed to training and redesign, that they would be shedding numbers. But anyway, they are. And they say they're going to support their affected employees through this transition. They don't say how. They don't say whether the redundancies will be over and above the market rate. But anyway, that's in all of the papers this morning. Yesterday we heard from Julian Benson, the former Dancing with the Stars judge, who was explaining his dream, his ambition, his vision for a purpose-built house for members of the cystic fibrosis community, for their families to stay in when they are receiving treatment in hospital. And there's a huge rallying call going out for builders and carpenters and electricians and anybody with a trade who can contribute to what is going to be called Tranquility House. Fantastic name. It sums up exactly what it is to do. Anyway, coverage of his campaign in the Irish Independent today 
along with all of the various deadlines there. Trade Day is going to be on February 23rd. What is that? Today is Tuesday. Is that Saturday? Friday? Where's my calendar? 23rd is Friday. Thank you. So, details in the Irish Independent this morning. Um, If you want a little bit of levity, although Mr Putin doesn't think it's very funny, according to the Irish Sun, a manhunt is underway for a woman. A Ukrainian model who is very popular on OnlyFans. No idea. What is OnlyFans? Anyway, she was spotted three years ago flashing her you-know-whats in Red Square in Moscow, apparently in front of the cathedral. And the footage has gone viral. And Mr Putin wants to crack down on debauchery, it says. So he is trying, not him personally, but he's having his guys do it, uh, to locate this lady who is known as Lola Bunny. So that's his top priority today, tracking down Lola Bunny. And I'm sure he'll give her a good spanking. Um, Back closer to home. The absurdity of our road traffic laws. So if you fall foul of the courts and you are told you should surrender your licence, and especially if you are a learner permit holder, a provisional licence as we used to call them, then you are under an even greater obligation to mind your P's and Q's and to make sure that you behave on the road. Only 5% of people who have been told in court to hand over their learner permit following a conviction actually do so. The other 19 out of 20 people ignore the court and keep driving regardless. So admitted the junior transport minister Jack Chambers in answer to a parliamentary question from Social Democrats TD Catherine Murphy. So, nearly 1,900 people on learner permits were disqualified in 2023. Only 70 surrendered their licence. It's a real voluntary exercise. Give us your licence if you want. If you don't, it's fine. Bizarre. More details in the Irish Times, but what is really galling is sometimes these loopholes or flaws in the system are highlighted and indeed a massive shiny spotlight is thrust upon them by road safety groups. And it seems to take forever to close the loophole, to sign a statutory instrument or introduce legislation, whatever is required. Granted, bringing in new laws can be slow, but there are ways and means when the need and the political will is there to get these things done. Anyway, some final stories on the matter of law enforcement. A thousand new Garda reservists are to be recruited between now and 2026. Never talked to a Garda reservist. What's involved? How onerous is it? How much time do you have to give up? And is it something you feel that is its own reward? I think we might do a feature on that, actually, being in the Garda Reserve. We talked about the fitness test not so long ago. Do you have to pass the fitness test to join the reserves? Time to get up to date on the information there. The West Meath Wind Farm, which is currently before... Not Wind Farm, excuse me. The West Meath Solar Farm. 
that is currently subject of an onboard Planola appeal. It is highlighted in the Irish Independent at length today and it sparks this debate about whether solar farms are a vital renewable energy source that can provide income for farmers or whether they are an eyesore on prime farmland. And the farm in question is a 214-acre solar farm in Westmeath on the land of sheep farmer and indeed farming independent columnist John Fagan. And the local council received many objections to this and so he has appealed to on board Planola to explain why he wants to go down the solar route and it is simple. He says, if I was getting enough money for my lamb, beef and tillage, why would I bother with a solar farm? So how do you feel about solar farms? They are obviously not nearly the height of wind farms. So you're not going to see them from miles away unless the panels are placed on a hill, for instance. But if they are on flat land and you're not going to see them, does it make much difference to you whether a farmer decides to go down that path? Conversation we'll come back to a little bit later. Anyway, final one for you now. What is the most hated positive saying? According to a new survey, happiness is a choice. Oh yeah, that is very condescending, isn't it? Oh, you can choose to be happy. Live, love and laugh. Good vibes only. And one that I disagree with, it is, it is what it is. I don't think it is what it is is necessarily a positive phrase. It's just pragmatic. If something horrible is happening and you can't really change it, it is what it is. You just have to get on with it. Or does it annoy you? Does it boil your blood when people say that? So looking to tomorrow, actually, it'll be a very warm start tomorrow about 13, 14 degrees in some parts of the Midlands. And that should be more or less the picture today as well in the afternoon and for much of Thursday. And overnight, not terribly cold, nothing to write home about actually, really, 2 to 7 degrees, up until Friday. And that's when you can expect temperatures to dip to minus 1, minus 2 degrees Thursday night into Friday and even colder again Friday night into Saturday. So if you've any plans to be on the road early on any of those days, just allow the extra bit of time for your journey. But otherwise, a fairly unremarkable week weather-wise, even a bit on the warm side perhaps, especially tomorrow morning. The attitudes of electricity companies seem to bamboozle many listeners. Let me just read one message from a caller who says they're with Electric Ireland at the moment and renewal is due next week. They had been on a 10% discount over standard rate and I called them and they offered 14%, which sounds like an improvement. However, if you are a brand spanking new customer to Electric Ireland, you will receive 24% discount. So, would they give this to their existing customer? No, they absolutely refused. So, I can see what's going to happen here. You're obviously going to shop around and move on. And it happens with insurance companies as well. You always say, mm, can you match this price? 
And invariably they say, mm, no. And if you really, really push it, if you really threaten to go, sometimes they bend the knee. It's all about negotiation. Anyway, back to that a little bit later. How difficult is it to find a doctor where you live? It has been likened to winning the Neuromillions by one local TD here in the Midlands, who, along with her colleagues in the Rural Independent Group, is going to table a motion in the Dáil on healthcare provision for rural communities. Carol Nolan, good morning. Good morning, Will, and good morning to your listeners. How bad a problem is it in your area? What are your constituents telling you? It's a deep crisis, Will, and has been for some time now. Um, I'm getting constituents into my offices every week with the same complaint where they cannot find a GP or get access to a GP. And this is affecting medical cardholders and private patients, and I want to stress that. But it really is a deep crisis, and it's very concerning because by 2026, we're going to lose 700 more GPs uh, to retirement. So what we're doing in the Rural Independent Group is that we're tabling a motion that brings some solutions also to government to try and resolve this crisis. And indeed, we, we understand clearly that this can't be resolved overnight. It will take a number of years because we've had a chronic GP shortage for so long now. But what we want to do is work collaboratively with all of our Aractus colleagues in the hope that they will support this motion and that we can put solutions in place quickly. To so resolve take us through the solutions you would propose. Well, one of our solutions is to look at the whole area of providing scholarships to medical students uh, from rural areas and to try and encourage them to go back to the rural areas to practice as GPs. And our reason for that is because this crisis is more pronounced in rural areas. And the Irish College of General Practitioners, they've pointed out that 1.6 million of our population in Ireland is a rural population and as we know our rural population consists of people of all ages but there are um, I suppose a higher level of elderly patients with medical needs and that's why we would be focusing more on the rural areas where we feel there's a deeper deeper problem. Now in addition to that um, the Irish College of General Practitioners they pointed out that a change of direction is needed because government has had focus on this issue but that focus hasn't resolved the crisis and GPs are telling government quite clearly that all of their time or a lot of their time, too much of the time has been taken up with administration and bureaucracy and we need to change that, that we need to put administrators in place um, because a GP's time, you know, it, it should be a patient-centred uh, uh, profession and the GP should be freed up to deal with patients and not to be focusing on the administrative burden. Now, government I'm just trying to think of the principle, though. If that were the case and ultimately a general practice is a business, surely farmers, for instance, could make the case, well, I have a lot of paperwork to do too, so I want an allowance to hire a secretary. Absolutely, that's true, and it's true across education and all professions. But the problem is that we're losing people who are deciding to emigrate because of the the poor working climate, because of the paperwork, because of the bureaucracy. And we have to find ways of dealing with that. And yes, it is affecting every sector, as you pointed out, clearly it is. But we do need to start with, clearly our frontline services, our doctors, they're essential. 
So we do need to start and put put methods and measures in place. Now, government have, have deepened the crisis by giving free GP care, which was greeted warmly, and I accept that, by many cash-strapped uh, families. And as well-intentioned as that measure was, what it has led to is a, is a situation that's been made worse. For example, in April this year, an extra 400,000 people will benefit from free GP care. But it's been pointed out by, again, the Irish College of General Practitioners that this will entail an extra 640,000 GP consultations or or about 120 whole-time equivalent GPs. And I want to acknowledge Dr Quinlan, a GP in Glanmire, who's pointed that out. So government is making promises that it cannot keep. But what we need to do is put practical measures in place. Well, you've listed two of them, so I suppose they're each of a financial nature, financial scholarship, financial support for admin. Is there, I suppose, a piece of work around making the prospect of working in rural Ireland as a doctor attractive again as compared with perhaps people are being attracted into the hospitals, into the glitzier environments where they can over time specialise, become consultants and they see maybe a higher ladder to climb financially. How do we arrest that piece of the challenge? That's very true, very true and and where that, I think what it comes down to is incentivising and supporting the GP to make sure that they're not isolated in their practice, which will be in a rural community. Um, it could be a community with a low population where they could feel quite isolated. What we need is supports to be put in place. I mean, for example, we could see more general practice nurses there to support the GP and maybe to take some of the workload that doesn't entail intervention from a GP and and obviously they wouldn't be isolated in their work either but I do understand and I do fully appreciate that everyone has options and of course um, some younger doctors might prefer um, to work in a hospital and of course that's important too but what we need to do is ensure that we do have numbers of GPs in rural Ireland where there is a pronounced crisis and the only way I believe we can do that is by offering practical supports and incentivising these GPs um, to, to come to rural Ireland and practice in rural Ireland. And there has I, been I a policy in recent years of creating primary medical centres and Clonbrusk was perhaps one of the first in the Midlands, even close to where you're based, Burr is going to have a primary medical centre soon. So the concept is that you will have many doctors under the one roof serving a wide hinterland. Do you agree with that model? Because arguably it does take the doctor out of the village and put them into the town. I think you need a mixture of, of methods. Um, you, you, you cannot take doctors out of uh, other communities. You'll always have people who can't travel. You'll have elderly people. Of course, look, the primary care centre is crucial and I've called for them. I welcome the fact that for um, the primary care centre, I believe I've had it confirmed they will begin in March, the construction, which isn't before time. That has a place in our health system. What we need is a number of approaches. And I believe that, look, the more GPs we have, the better, whether they be in the hospital, the primary care centre or the small rural community. All of those places need to be served by GPs. And and that would be my argument that, yes, there's a place, of course there is, um, for GPs in all of those settings. 
And, you know, what, what we need to do, I suppose, is just focus on what the issues are, what the GPs are telling us, what the ICGP has told us. And they've clearly told us what the issues are and, and also um, the supports that the GPs need. And we, we don't need more well-intentioned measures put in place that are going to increase uh, the workload of GPs and, and lead to a deeper crisis. What we need is practical support to keep our GPs in places um, like our rural communities, like our primary care centres. Okay. Here, sure that here's perhaps the trickiest part of the conversation, though, when you and your colleagues are bringing forward a bill before the Oireachtas. Have you costed what all of this will amount to? We, we haven't, uh, Will, because a lot of our measures are very, very practical measures. Um, as I said, the administrative support, if there was a bit of thinking done around that, I'm sure there are college students, graduates who could do placements uh, who are training maybe in an administrative capacity. I think that this, really, this, this involves planning and our motion very much centres around planning. I mean, what, what we're looking at is planning for extra GPs, making sure that there's a, a long-term plan drawn up, making sure that there's a committee put together to deal with this specifically. And, and that doesn't cost money to put a committee together and to put short-term goals and medium-term term goals and long-term goals. And what we're calling for is a subcommittee. There are very simple, practical measures in our motion um, that don't involve costs uh, at all. And in fact, if you were to look at the whole area of scholarships and that, that would be minimal costs. And there is an education budget there. And I think, um, you know, with, with areas like apprenticeships being incentivised and only right, um, we should look at this area as well and incentivise medical students. Carol Nolan, thank you for taking our call this morning. We'll watch to see how the bill is met in the Dáil. Uh, tomorrow, I believe, you're bringing it forward. So thank you for taking our call. Thank you very much, Will. Deputy Carol Nolan, Independent TD for Lee Shoffley and a member of the Rural Independent Group. Next, for the second time in just 16 months, a church in the Midlands has been targeted for break-in and unfortunately damage done, for which they need, yet again, to raise money. You know that old expression about lightning striking twice? Well, I want you to meet William Hayes, who is the Presbyterian Reverend in Tullamore. William, good morning. Uh, tell us it what... It seems like our grind, Groundhog Day, which we just had recently in the United States as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. For yeah, all the wrong like reasons, that. unfortunately, it's not that you bought a lotto ticket and came up looking twice. <laughs> now, that would be good because we need the roof replaced in the thing, so we do. So um, there you go. But uh, yes, uh, no, it, it wasn't like that, unfortunately. No, somebody decided to, to break in. And from the way that they did it, it, it looks very like it was the same person who did it again. They They took the same route. They did exactly the same stuff. Um, they got a lot less this time than they got last time because we put a, you know some like measures in since the last time that we that they they did this. But um, yeah, so 16 months after the last break-in, we've had somebody do it again. You know. So, how much damage was done? It was. Um, it, it's one of those things. You know, whenever you put more security in, and it becomes a kind of um, uh, you know an arms race almost with the, the criminals on this one. So we put in a more secure gate. They must have come along with a crowbar and basically took the gate off the hinges this time instead of breaking the padlock. Um, they they couldn't get in through the the more secure window that there was in the back um, this time, and so they they smashed in the, the toilet window and and got in that way. Took it 
basically a part in the process of that. And yeah, you know, we would put things in lock cabinets and again, crowbars um, breaking into the cabinets and doing significantly more damage this time because, you know, stuff was, was locked away. So it was in this. So if I sound, sorry if I sound frustrated and annoyed, but you know, whenever you try your best just to kind of secure things up and then if somebody goes for it yeah. <laughs> and does a bit of harm, you know. Yeah, so and that, that sense, that's it was the conundrum, isn't it? Been, that you, you think you're doing well. Open. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think you're doing the right thing, making it more secure. But yeah. in the end, <clears throat> it takes a greater effort and ultimately more damage for somebody who is yeah. really, yeah. really determined. And That's it, yeah. What, what was in there that they were so determined to get? Well, there was there was a bit of cash, so there was just as there needs to be. I mean, there's a parent and toddler group that happens, and it's about to start um, today at, at ten. So there's and there's a, you know, there's a, um, you know, you just keep a wee bit of petty cash on the premises. But we're not talking a huge amount of anything there. Well, yes, yeah, so we're talking um, a small float, really. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe somebody's desperate for drugs money, or somebody I, I don't know has a debt or, or something like that. And they've and, and also I'm very conscious, well, as I'm talking about this, that whenever we were on the phone to the, the guards on the, the Sunday morning, whenever we found out what had happened, um, that there's loads of other folks in houses up and down the place. Now our, our church building has been broken into, and you okay? I'm kind of, I'm still a wee bit in shock about that, you know, it's, it's, it's annoying, but whenever your house is broken into, so I'm conscious that some of your listeners will have had their houses broken into and stuff over this, this last weekend, because there's been a spree of this, and it's been pretty rotten for people, so it has, yeah. Have you assessed how much it will cost to repair the damage? We're in the process of doing that at the minute, yes. Yeah. So there's a couple, we've done kind of patch repairs on the, the place, um, folks in the congregation were lovely, they were... Um, you know, they kind of went back home, came straight in again after, you know, uh, like after the guards had been there and we did some kind of patch repairs in the place. But yeah, they were just going around trying to find out, you know, can we put a metal gate on the side now? You know, how do we fix mm. things up? How do we how do we secure things a bit better? And so on, you know, yeah. Very dispiriting. <clears throat> and again, yeah. you, you mentioned the similarity between this incident and the one 16 months yeah. ago. Yeah, Have Gordy got like, much evidence yeah, yeah. to go on to try and find the person responsible? They, they, they uh, yeah, I can't really say too much about that. Yeah, they, 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 they've got some information. All right. Well, again, we're talking roughly when, so that perhaps anybody who was in the area yeah, it, with dash cam roughly, footage or um, who saw something can contribute <clears throat> and, and give information. So what we know is that we we put in security cameras, um, and the. The, the the security camera at the back got ripped off the wall um, by whoever did it because it got tucked away in a place they, they rather stupidly tucked it away under a traffic cone where we found it. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so what happened was that we got the last bit of um, footage on that before it got ripped off the wall, which was eighteen twenty three and ten seconds. <laughs> These things they're very accurate. Yeah, so eighteen twenty three, and um, so we got that there and. Um, so if anybody was uh, around the, the High Street area, the, the top end of High Street up around where um, the, the chippy used to be there, um, the old town council building, that sort of area there up by the, the Presbyterian Church at, at 1823, if you remember seeing anybody um, or you remember noticing anything then on Saturday night, then that's, um, you know, if you could talk to the guards about that. And then the second part of the reason we're talking, financially, there's going to be a mountain to climb, but you're already making good strides. 
You set a GoFundMe focus, target focus of three and a half thousand, and you're now yeah. at over two and a half thousand. I know. I've been. I, I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, Will. I mean, I know that Irish people don't talk about crying about these kind of things, but see, like a couple of these donations that came in, I was a bit weepy over them. People were really. People have been really, really nice. You know. Well, yeah. well, it's at times like this, I suppose. You you know that the good in humanity is strong. And mm. even your your willingness to consider why somebody would break in and whether they are somebody who is going through uh, a, a drug issue or whatever, that's mm. very generous of you to see that side when it is as frustrating as it is. Yeah. Hopefully, we won't be having this conversation in 16 months' time. <laughs> hopefully not, Well, <laughs> Hopefully not, yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing, right? If, if just say that person is listening at the other end of this, you know, we, we've got ways that we could help them. Okay, if they're, having, if they're struggling with drug issues, we know organizations that could really help them. If they're struggling with, with issues to do with debt or the law or anything like that, you know, we've got folks that could help out with that kind of stuff. And, like, maybe they're just malicious. They, they like the idea of breaking into places or something. But if there's any other way like that, you know, we'd reach out to them. You yeah. would help them. There are other ways to get their jollies. Them, we'd, we'd help them, yeah. yeah. William, thanks very much for taking our call yeah. this morning. Okay, God bless, Well, Thank you. Reverend William Hayes from Tullamore. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, students of a special school here in the Midlands are finally given a date for moving into their new building. I'll tell you what it is in 15 minutes and you can tell me if you are happy with that deadline. Dr D shall be here. Exercise and how much is enough and how much is... Plus after 11... Are you blind or what? Radio documentary following 30 blind or visually impaired over the space of a year as they make a radio play. And it's all about how they let light into their lives when you can't see. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. How do you feel about solar farms. So obviously wind turbines are very tall. They can be two metres, uh, 200 metres even, to the maximum tip height. And we have several examples here in the Midlands. Solar, by contrast, the panels are largely at ground level. So there isn't a visual intrusion, unless, of course, they're built on an elevated site. So if they're on a hill, then they become more obvious. There's a feature in the Irish Independent this morning in which they talk to John Fagan. Now, John is a columnist with the Farming Independent. He is the owner of a 214-acre farm in County West Mead, and he was refused planning permission last year to construct a solar farm on that land, and he's now taking that appeal to onboard Planola, he tells the paper, if I was getting enough money for my lamb, beef and tillage, why would I bother getting a solar farm? Getting into renewables will help me to rear my family and pay my bills. No apologies to anybody for that. So we contacted John this morning to invite him onto the programme to discuss his reasons and his concerns and why he has taken matter to on board Planola to try and get approval. He has declined our invitation. 
There were over 70 objectors to this development and one of them is Dennis Leonard, who happens to be a member of Westmeath County Council for the Labour Party. Dennis, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Now, people will know that you are somebody who uh, has talked on environmental issues. You sat on the board of Bordnamona for several years. This is something that, on paper, I would have assumed you might support. Why not? Well, Will, I'm sure at times you've been scratching your head saying, you know, for years I've been an environmentalist. Going back to the 90s, I've been pushing for renewable energies and... Uh, Obviously, I'm very conscious of our 50% target of 2030, the 90% for 2040, and the full renewables by 2050, and how Ireland is probably a bit behind in, in, in that. So obviously, you know, wind, solar, you know, are all part of the equation. But, you know, so is hydro, biomass, uh, you know, hydrogen, uh, anaerobic digestion. You know, the biggest one in America would be the hydroelectricity. Uh, the uh, west coast of Ireland is the most suitable place in the world for waves. Uh, the east coast of Ireland, one of the most suitable for east. Yet we don't develop that way. So while I sympathise with John, and I do agree with one point he made, if we were paying farmers properly for their produce, you know, and, and, their, and their cattle and their sheep and, and their, their crops, rather than the 49% vegetables, which is, I know, a story for a different day, you mightn't be in this position. But what's the biggest issue I have is, and I've said this for years and years, we need the right development in the right location. So while we do need a certain amount of solar farms, wind farms, and all of the other eight renewables that I've mentioned there, we also need the right development in the right location. So for instance, I'm on the Westmead County Council. We have to do a county development plan. And in that you have areas that are marked amenity, high amenity, and maybe no amenity. So areas near lakes, near rivers, whatever else have to be protected. And you've probably seen that when the council turned it down, they turned it down on three major grounds, mainly that it was against its policy of protecting high amenity areas. And also the proposed development didn't have sufficient detail about the ecological impact. But also there was a huge lack of community consultation. Those people out there in Crooked Wood, like so many communities, had to fight a rearguard action. And the biggest reason for that, Will, and I know you've covered this before, is that rather than a top-down approach in this country, where we have a heat map of which areas are most suitable for wind, for solar, for hydro, for anaerobic digestion, for bioenergy, rather than that, we have a developer-driven approach. So in this case, you have Neon, the company, they're actually looking to sell off to you know foreign investors at the moment. So de- developers come in, they pick out sites, they talk to different farmers, they give them an offer and then rather than community consultation or the council being involved they're not it's completely developer driven so council and, and just curious what would that community consultation look like because obviously there was a planning application put in and people would have an opportunity to offer their comments which they did what over and above that would be appropriate what is appropriate, and we've seen this at wind farms, is that they actually have meetings in the community, that maps are out and whatever else. So therefore, it's kind of like what you could almost call a negotiation process, where if there were parts of his land or anyone else's land that were suitable, you know, most wind farms, well, what the government approach is, the government and green agenda for 2030, look for smaller wind farms, you know, for farm buildings, factories, data centres, things like that, that almost would make them self-sufficient, or look after a whole community, kind of micro-generation. And in fact, there was 23 of these refused in America where there were over 30 megawatts. 
So we're trying to get away from these large factory size, maybe 100 acres, which takes over an entire area of Loch Derivara. In this case, I'm not just going to this case. You need to have the right development where the council have designated certain areas that are appropriate. If that was to happen, if that consultation were to happen, it's like going for your, to build your house. You go for a pre-planning meeting. All that needs to happen, the council would advise on that. The community would say, look, at, we would accept this and this and this because we do want renewables. We just don't want it on this scale. That type but, of consultation will mean a proper application going in. Okay, but obviously scale and efficiencies from economies of scale, that's what business strives for. And yeah. with wind farms, communities can be impacted if they live close by because of shadow flicker, because of infrasound. That's why there are minimum setback distances. Solar is obviously lower in height um, and therefore, in theory at least, less intrusive on neighbours. So what is the problem? The problem is, and, you know, there are a lot of positives to solar. The sun shines even on the cloudy days. And, you know, but here's the the problem. A lot of area in Ireland is suitable for forestry. A lot of it is suitable for crops others for, for cattle, others for sheep. There are certain areas which are com- completely suited to solar. A lot of it would be wasteland because the sun shines on the wasteland as much as it does on good farmland. So this, what we've made our, our money, and John has made the point himself, we've made our reputation in this country on agriculture and tourism. And we're shooting the two in the foot by bringing in large factory wind farms and large factory solar farms, which take away a lot from that agricultural development. They're too large a scale. And you, you put your finger out there, Will. They want the profit margins they want for these shareholders and everything else want to be huge, rather than what the government was originally proposing, which was kind of micro-development, smaller developments, which aren't as imposing. Because not everybody wants to live next to a 100-acre solar farm either, you know, and, and the road network. And also, when you look at a, a, a consultation on this. You have to look at, and Board Panola will do this, local infrastructure, visual amenity, safety, threats to local road users, threats to local tourism, ecology, hydrology, habitat, security, I can go on and on. But there's a whole load of boxes that need to be ticked. And in this case, the communities have the opinion and the councils have the opinion, it doesn't because of its size and scale, it doesn't tick the box. But this could have been solved by proper community consultation and by what I would call a heat map where the government gets down and saying, these are the areas, do it zone-wise, where this is suitable for wind, then let's do them all. And what's wrong with the other eight forms of renewable energy? What's wrong with put, putting the waves off the coast of Galway, the most suitable place in the world for it? What's wrong with running wind farms? Yeah, but I think the, the policy North, is to have a whole basket and to have a mixture. And yeah. therefore, if one yeah. is going down, if, uh, for instance, the wind is slack, well, we still right. have solar to compensate for that. And... I, I again, John isn't here, so I have to play a devil's advocate. If you, yeah, I understand. If you drive uh, anywhere around the country in the summer, you will see the black agricultural film providing yeah. shade over certain crops. I know when you yes. drive down towards Arthurstown in Wexford, they're growing strawberries yeah. in huge numbers and there are acres covered in plastic film. So for normal yeah. farming activity, there's already a visual impact. How yeah. is this different? Well, no, the visual impact is only one. I mean, it's the scale of it, Will, and, and the sensitive nature of the site. Part of this particular development, I don't really get into particulars too much of it, I'm, I'm making a general point here, but it's a lot there of our high amenity area designated by the council. The environmental assessments did not take, you know, cognizance of the fact there was an SPA. The development is out of character with the landscape in that particular area. The county council planners have looked at all that, right? So I'm not trying to make general points against John. My general point is there are areas that are suitable, and your point is right. Wind doesn't always blow. 
the sun is always out, so it is a very good source. But it can, you should be co-locating wind farms and solar farms. That's the first thing that should happen. Secondly, you should hydro is the biggest farm in America. Why aren't we going down the hydro route here? Why aren't we going down the anaerobic digestion with all the farmland we have? The reason is it was first up, best dressed. They got the PSO levies. They're in the big companies, you know, make the money, sell them on. There's another issue here. It sounds like we're arguing against re- renewables or sustainable. It's like arguing against bringing in, you know, you know, asylum refugees from war-torn countries, but putting them all into one place. You need to have consultation and spread it out appropriately so that everyone buys into it. Communities are not going to buy into sustainable energy unless it's the right development in the right location, because we all want to go down that route, but we need to go down it in the proper yes, way. Yes, but how do you avoid nimbyism then? Not in my backyard. Because if, look, like, if communities are consulted, I suppose everybody would prefer it went next door. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I know there's a, you know, a waste facility between road notch or bridge and there's issues around that. The road is totally unsuitable. So what happens sometimes is you come across as a NIMBY if you point out the obvious defects in the planning. So if you're up in Crooked Wood and you point out the size and scale, the fact locked of ours are high immunity, the lack of environmental assessment, the development of if you point out those things, you sound like a NIMBY by simply saying, we've lived here, we know what's suitable or not. Why do a lot of people accept these into their area? Because they know it's, they have to do their bit, just like we have to do with the whole refugee situation. Everyone does their bit, but you have to do it to the right scale. You have to do it in the right location. Otherwise, legitimate people who don't forget who lives in these communities. There could be engineers, hydrologists, you know, who lives in these homes. Some, and, and they're also locals who know their area. So rather than always coming across as NIMBYs, maybe people need to be consulted so that they mm. point out to big companies the obvious defects of a particular application. I fear it could be divisive as well in some areas where farmers genuinely want to grow another income source. And yeah. if neighbourhoods object, then it will fall to the likes of Bordnamona, uh, which has ample land, which could yes. perhaps be a good location for some of these solar farms. The state will get the opportunity, but the farmer won't. I totally accept your point, Will, but can we get back to John's original point? No, no, what about my point, though? (laughs) There is an opportunity for farmers here. I I, I have no problem with opportunity for farmers. There's also opportunities for farmers for anaerobic digestion, for, you know, waste energy, for other opportunities that we need. Hydro, maybe there could be a river running near their land. So it's not just opportunities for wind and solar. But the other point is, John, that if we were paying farmers the appropriate dividend for their cattle, for their sheep and for their crops, farmers who built this country, who are the backbone of this country, would not be in the position where they have to somehow sell off good agricultural land for something that could be put somewhere else. Dennis Leonard, thank you very much for your time. No problem, no problem. Dennis Leonard is a member of Westmeath County Council under the Labour Party banner. He is one of the people who objected to that development in Crooked Wood in County Westmeath. It would have been a 214-acre solar farm had Westmeath County Council granted permission. It didn't. Now the matter is going before on board Planola. And again, we contacted John Fagan, the farmer involved, and he declined our opportunity to appear on the programme this morning. It's 22 minutes past 10. Next... Good news if you are the parent of a child at Colby Special School in County Leash. At least I think it's good news. Let's see if you're happy with it. Hilda says there's quite a glare from solar panels. For instance, if you take the train anywhere from Munich Airport, you will see quite a few of these. 
But she says, we already killed the eagle once, so what's another time? Uh, The problem with tidal is that it is predictable and oil and gas cannot come in as the saviour. The only one that can be fired up quickly is gas. So uh, another caller says, it's high time farmers simply uh, took into control the use of their own land If they want to install solar, there is absolutely no difference between that and covering in plastic film. Therefore, there should be no planning permission required. I'm not sure if planning authorities or indeed some of the neighbours would agree on that, especially when the installation of the solar panels will involve a lot of traffic and there are grid connections to consider and so on. But I, I feel the sentiment. There is a definite frustration there. And there are lots of comments from the Crooked Wood area, which I will go through in a couple of minutes as well. But first, to Colby Special School in County Leash, where for years parents and indeed students have been waiting for a new building to be developed. And delay after delay has led to much frustration. A commitment is being given that they will move into that new building in September of 2025. Approval has been given to appoint a contractor and the ESB enabling works on site have now been completed after several months. Leash Offaly, Fianna Fáil TD and Junior Foreign Affairs Minister Sean Fleming has described it as great news. I think it's very good news that the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, has given approval to Colby Special School to appoint a contractor to build a new school. And everybody knows it's been a big issue uh, in Port Leash and in County Leash for some a long number of years. And there's about 40 children there who have severe disabilities, the children who need a new school more than any school in the county. So it's really good news for the children, the parents, the family, the, of everybody involved in the staff, because they've been looking for this for years. So over the last couple of years, uh, we've, I've been working with the school. I gave a commitment in the last election that Colby Special School would be my number one priority in County Leash. And we've gone through a planning. We had an appeal to board Planola, which we were able to get dealt with and ultimately withdrawn. It's gone to tender. We had problems with ESB, that overhead power lines, all those type of things. And we're building it. It's been built on the land owned by the HSE, so the HSE had to come in and give the way leaves, which everything is in place now in the la- since last week on all of those issues. And the minister was waiting for all of that to be in place. And at the weekend, she's given sanction for the school to proceed and talk to the builder and to ultimately sign a contract. He has two weeks, you know, to line up insurance and those type of issues, but then the contract will be signed and construction can start as quick as the builder is ready with a view to having the children in the school for September 2025. It'll take 12, 18, up to 18 months maybe to build any new school like this. So it's really good news at the end of a long saga. And the most important people in all of this is the children will have a proper uh, education facilities to suit their needs as soon as this school opens. Deputy Fleming, you're you're no stranger, I suppose, to the frustration from um, parents and staff at the school who, you know, have raised their frustrations over the delays with the new building, as you're well aware, last March. Um, 
the plans were delayed due to capital funding pressures. They were subsequently yeah. put back in place after um, a couple of months of campaigning. And then, like you said, there's been the issues with the, the ESB works. Do you expect this will be the, the final hiccup now and the school can you know get underway with that deadline of September 2025 now yeah. on the route? Well, yeah. I understand the contract is for an 18-month period and from now to then is the 18-month period. And I visited the sites in the school last week and the DSB cables are gone, they're removed, they're rerouted and everything is ready now literally for the builder to get his insurance and his financial bonds in place to move on to the site. So I think it's in everybody's interest and I hope the school architects will keep on top of the builder because it's between the school authority and the builder to make sure this is now delivered now that the funding and approval and everything has been done um, you know, um, by the minister at this stage. So there's no reason why this won't happen. Are you aware of um, what kind of facilities the new building will need in terms of size or classroom numbers, anything along that scale? Well, the, the bottom line is the school that is there is a wreck and it's an old prefab building that's there for decades and it's too small so the main thing is it will accommodate approximately 40 students. I don't have the exact figure, but that's the number of students in the school at the moment. Will be new, modern, fit for purpose. You know, the toilets, the rooms, everything about the existing school is too small. It was built in another era, so it needs to be brought up to standard. And uh, this will be a full modern school, especially designed for d- children with very specific needs. And I think that's really the important issue. So um, it's not a big school in terms of numbers. And thankfully, they're not big numbers requiring this facility. But those children who do need it need the best service that the country can put in place for them. Have you heard from any parents or students since, or staff, excuse me, since the, the news came out this afternoon? Um, oh, do you know oh, what the atmosphere is like at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it goes without saying, I was speaking with the principal of the school this morning and I've been liaising with the principal over the last several weeks and off and on the last couple of years. And I've just put some message up on social media. So the, the reaction is starting to come in. It's good news at long last. And I accept that that has been overlooked probably for decades, but I gave a commitment five years ago at the last election that I would try and get this project completed. And that's been done with the support of all the parents and the teachers and the school community and everybody working together. So I think it's a good day for everybody. Junior Minister Sean Fleming. If you're a parent and you have an opinion on this, 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. To your comments. So regarding... Solar farms. Uh, listener says, "Where's it got at me? Where's it got at me?" That was disappearing when I needed. Um, Dennis Leonard needs to realise that everybody who tries to construct an anaerobic digester is knocked on the head immediately by all the neighbourhood. And another says, regarding the plans for the solar farm in Crooked Wood, many of the objectors were notorious serial. Objectors. Some were even highlighted on the recent primetime investigates. Regarding Regina Doherty being nominated by Fine Gael to run in the European elections, a caller wonders, why do they do that? She lost her seat as a TD. Leo Varadkar appointed her a senator. Lisa Chambers was in a similar position. These two senators were not elected in the last Dole, and yet they were allowed to contest the European conventions. 
Uh, we had the opportunity as a population to vote to abolish the Senate a few years ago, and we didn't, as they say in the Leaving Cert Discuss. And one more. Will, my daughter has a four-month-old. She rang the doctor last week and was unable to get an appointment at her family doctor. I support what Carl Nolan said earlier. We need extra resource in general practice. Anyway, speaking of GPs... Health Matters on Midlands 183 in association with Haven Pharmacy Butler's Burr. For confidential pharmacy advice, let Lean Butler, third generation of the family and his staff, look after you and your family. Find Haven Pharmacy Butler's Burr on social media. Expert care made personal. Midlands 103. Dr D is here from Kayla Medical in Athlone. Deirdre Ford, how are you? I'm very well, Will. God, I think it's a while since we've spoken. I've missed you. Oh, <laughs> happy New Year to you too. Indeed, many happy returns. You want to talk about exercise. And I suppose we're past the New Year's resolution phase. So we're probably in the settling period where if we have made any strides, we're deciding how much is enough how much can we get away with? <laughs> and, you know, what, where does that minimum threshold fall? Sure, sure. I want to talk, Will, about sarcopenia. It's basically a loss of muscle mass. And as I was saying to Sinead there, I realised that I was in trouble about a year ago when I suddenly discovered that if I went down on one knee to pick up something like a piece of jewellery or coins in a shop, somebody had to help me up because I wasn't able to get up. Um, and I realised that I had no strength in my lower limbs. And it's part of, I hate to say it, the ageing process, but you start to lose muscle mass as you get older. Yeah. But isn't and that, you see, the reason we exercise changes. So when you're in your 20s or even teens these days, you're doing so for vanity, dare I say, more so than yeah. the long term gain. And yes, and I and I and I think absolutely well that the the current generations are 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 well aware of the importance of exercise. But I suppose when I was growing up, it wasn't a thing. You know, you 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 might have played a bit of hockey, but there was no such thing as gyms or keeping fit or or anything like that. So I think it's kind of probably my generation now that really really needs to look at this to protect their their bone density and to protect their muscle mass because God forbid and all harm if they're if they're older you know maybe in their seventies or eighties and they have no um, they very poor muscle mass if they fall they're not going to be able to get back up again and they're also at increased risk of um, fractures. Well, I learned a salutary lesson from my dad who was always very active, always walked in, in, in credit to him right up until he had that fall and, and fractured the hip. But what he discovered too late was that there was atrophy in the muscles of the legs and he didn't have the strength because while he was walking, he wasn't doing the squats or the other exercises to fortify those muscles. So what, are the, what are the lessons that we can all take from that? So basically, you've got to, you've got to, I would suggest if you're able to, you need to maybe 
go to the gym. Now, this is the gym so that you can actually build up muscle mass or you can you can get a physio to show you how to do it at home. But basically, you've got to be able to, you know, up and down steps. So if you even got a stairs at home, go up and down the stairs, up and down the, you know, the first, second, third step, back down again. You're starting to build up the, the muscle there um, in your quads and in your gluteals as well. So, you need to to certainly, if you can, go to a gym, get a personal trainer who will actually do all that with you, which is what I'm doing at the moment now. And I suppose that's important because it's very hard to give a rule of thumb on how much exercise is enough. Even climbing the stairs for somebody who's been inactive for a long time, that's not only challenging on the muscles, that's challenging on the respiratory system as well. Exactly, exactly. And so, you don't want to overdo it. No, you don't. So even, you know, you have a small step, you know, one of those small little steps, you just do go, go stand up on the step, back down again, up, down. If you're sitting on a chair at home, you get something like even, um, you can buy the weights in, in uh, any of the um, sports places, you know, maybe a two kg weight and you just put it on your ankles and you lift up your legs up and down, up and down. That'll start to give you some um, increased resistance training there. But it's so important. Well, And also there are bands you can get. They're like elastic bands for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But they allow that bit of gentle resistance and you can crank it up then to a, a sturdier band as you get stronger. That's it. That's it. So I use the bands as well. Um, and what you do is just a band. You can just you can just get the, the middle of the band and you pull it out and you pull it in and you pull it out and pull it in. And then you can stand on the band and just open it up, stand on the bottom of the band, uh, get the top of the band and start pushing that up, you know, like a, a like a great big square. Very effective. So if the ship has sailed a little bit, if you already have signs of sarcopenia, is it reversible? There's no cure for sarcopenia, but obviously if you are, yes, if you start to do some resistance exercises, yes, you're going to start building up your muscle mass again. So it is important. Yes, you can do something about it. We've talked about the exercise piece. What about diet? Because obviously weightlifters always talk about their protein for growth and repair. But even if you're not aiming to look like Hulk Hogan, should you still have a certain amount of chicken, egg, even protein shakes in the diet? Yeah, so you can you need to make sure that you've got good protein. So look at you'll get it in your own diet. You don't need to start, you know, start um buying shakes and that. But make sure that you cut back on all that processed food and add some, you know, turkey breast, tuna, beans, lentils, uh the yogurts, you know, the the, the Greek yogurts full of full of protein. So just get more protein into you. Here's a question from a listener. Does muscle loss apply more so to men than to women, given the loss of testosterone? Not necessarily, because women also have loss of hormones too. So they're more, they're, women and men equally are more, are, are equally at risk in terms of this. Once you've got loss of hormones, you're more at risk of developing sarcopenia. Yeah, the question went on to talk about testosterone supplementation in men. What you're describing is more so a case of use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. That's it. So I'm not. I'm. Ta- I'm not talking about all these men who go to the gym and they're getting their, you know, whatever 
testosterone supplements they're getting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as we get older, exactly. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Joe says he's a very active gardener. So he's always digging. He feels that he's getting a workout. And he's wondering, is that sufficient or does he need to do something more targeted? No, I think that is sufficient. You know, if you're, say you're uh, in the garden, you're pushing the lawnmower, so you're walking, the lawnmower is heavy, so you're pushing against it, both with your with your legs and with your arms. If you're digging as well, obviously you're, you're, um, you're creating some sort of... Um, build up of your muscle there so that should be any kind of physical activity like that is is pretty good a caller says Faulkner you're showing your age Hulkamania was 40 years ago oh, Jesus. Oh, gosh. thanks now that's cheered us up no end <gasps> Deirdre Ford is with us from Kayla Medical in Athlone until 11 Tommy recommends plenty of nocturnal activity to sort out your muscle mass good man Tommy I'm sure you look like the Hulk There you go. Uh, Will, I work on my feet. So I would walk about an hour in the evening as well. And my life feels like I'm always on the go. Would I be getting enough exercise, asks Jackie. So that's not a person who's sedentary, Deirdre. That's a person who's moving all the time. Okay, moving all the time, um, moving all the time like that. That's really good for your for her bone health anyway. Just make sure that if she's walking, that she may, you know, are there steps that she can take during, you know, hill that she can take during her walk? Is there a little bit of an incline? Once there's something rather than it just being completely flat, you've got to have some sort of resistance when you're walking. Yeah, you've got to feel it really in, I suppose, the back of the legs. Yes. You don't want to end up like a Kardashian now with a massive you-know-what, but still, it has to have some sort of effect and and, and pressure back there. A caller yes. is recommending cycling, actually, that cycling is very good for exercising, uh, particularly the backs of the legs, but the legs in general. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree with that because it's it's working it's working all of your lower limbs. It's really really good. And like you know, when you go to the gyms, you see that that people are on are on bikes as well, or they're on rowing machines, or whatever. So all of that is really good, really good exercise. Another listener says, "Don't forget balancing exercise. Very often overlooked." Yeah. So balancing, this is all part of the developing your core strength as well when you're actually doing all of that. So, you know, making sure that you can actually stand on one foot and that you don't fall over. Um, Because if you can stand on one foot and you tend to fall over, then you've got some sarcopenia developing there. You've got some muscle mass loss. Oh, great. I'm 42, Deirdre, and I can barely stand on one foot to put on my socks. (laughs) I blame my toes. Mary is 63, has osteoporosis in her lower back, and she's wondering what would be a good exercise to assist? So osteoporosis, um, any kind of walking, Mary, will actually improve your um, osteoporosis. So you've got to feel this, like the ground underneath you. So exercises like swimming 
is not good for, you know, it's not going to benefit your osteoporosis because you can't feel that resistance or that or the, the ground underneath you. Similarly, cycling for osteoporosis, not really, but good for the sarcopenia. So for osteoporosis, yes, you can walk, but make sure that you have... Um, you can, what I say to a lot of my women are, if you want to get the most out of your walking, get some uh, little weights that you could put on your wrist. You can buy them anywhere or put a heavy backpack on your back because that will ground you even further. So you're getting the most out of your walking. It's that resistance. You've got to feel the ground underneath you. A pack on your back. Oh, no. That's like going back to the school days, Deirdre. We can't do that. Yeah. No, no, we can't. But anyway, that's to get the most out of your walking. All right. Our next listener, uh, they say they go walking, but increasingly of late, and they're in their mid-50s, they're finding it very uh, stiff. They're finding a stiffness about an hour after the walk and even more so the morning after a walk. Is this a sign of general decline or should I be doing something different? She's at the age of my favourite subject, menopause. That can actually cause a lot of aches and pains um, associated with with walking because your oestrogen levels are, de- are decreasing and oestrogen is natural anti-inflammatory. But I would say if you're walking, you know, if you're starting to do the walking, you've got to build this up very slowly because you're going to get built up of the lactic acid you're, if you're not used to this. So start doing maybe just 10 minutes and build it up to 20 minutes, but do it every day if you start, you know, even in the morning where you're still a little bit stiff, maybe go and do five minutes or maybe give that as your rest day and then go again the following day after that. Stretches as well. Um, recently discovered to my horror that I'm ageing. So after a run, my hip was giving me jip and I contacted a physio and he told me I had gluteal tendinopathy, acute gluteal tendinopathy. And a few targeted stretches made a huge, huge difference. And then after the pain went away to do some targeted exercises as well. So yeah. um, just mindful, they didn't say whether the caller was a man or a woman. So if it is uh, a man... Maybe it's just a bit of stretching that's needed. Um, it's a bit of stretching. Gluteal tendinopathy is actually quite common in women too For the, the because of what I just mentioned there with regard to oestrogen levels dropping. So you're suggesting I'm menopausal as well? No, I'm not. Well, gosh, no. I'd never do that to you. <laughs> I'll stick to the stretches if that's okay. <laughs> All right. Next, let's get away from the sarcopenia and the general age-related questions because there's a lot of query about respiratory at the moment and people finding that there's been a lingering sting in the tail, not so much a cough, but a sinus issue. Have you come across this where people still have sinus bother weeks after an initial infection? Yeah, funny enough, I do. I, I am actually seeing it a lot. Um, and I've, I've no idea why, you know, we're in the middle of the, well, of course, we're, we're just coming out of the winter now, I suppose, and we're heading into spring. Um, but there is, seems to be an awful lot of lingering sinus issues going on there. Now, 
um, any of the over-the-counter um, saline nasal sprays. You could try any of those or um, the Sinutab, um, which was just decongest everything, Sinutab or Sudafed, try any of those. But um, yeah, and I'm seeing a lot too, Will, of the coughs coming back again. You know, they, they just, the, the lingering coughs, and especially over the Christmas period to the amount of people who had what we call, you know, these respiratory doses. And luckily enough, I didn't get anything. And I think it's because maybe I did get my booster COVID vaccine and my booster flu vaccine just before, you know, probably around September, October, November. Um, but yeah, it, that's just what's out there at the moment. What's a good policy to rebuild, whether supplementation, diet, what would be, because you're often told, obviously, if it's a viral infection, antibiotics are no use. You just wade out the storm. Okay, so what I would normally, just personally myself anyway, when if I feel a, a cold coming on, I go down and I get Benalyn day and night tablets and I just start on, on that or else with my vitamin C if you normally take just one of those vitamin C that you that fizzes up in, in your in your water in the morning I would take maybe three of them do a great big bolus um, of vitamin C to try and ward off all of that but generally for people who are trying to build up their immune system any of the um, there's a good one called stress complex B it's really good for people's um, immune system who've gone through say stress and are getting uh, a lot of um, infections then as a result of that you know the stresses of moving house or the stress of a new job or stress associated with with whatever that can actually have a real impact on your immune system and stress complex B is really really good for that but any of the you know supplements that have the Vitamin D, obviously, you need your vitamin D, your D, your um, C, um, your B vitamins, all very, all very, very good. Deirdre, I have to take my old woman hips out of here, so we'll chat again very soon. Good morning, we'll have a good day. Take care. That's Dr Deirdre Ford from Kayla Medical in Athlone. After the news at 11, are you blind or what? A documentary on the sightless cinema in Leash by Anne-Marie Kelly. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly and you're listening to Are You Blind or What? Are You Blind or What? A radio documentary recorded throughout 2023. It follows the journey of 30 people who, with the guidance of Kieran Taylor, have to construct a live radio play. They are all blind or visually challenged. It is the story of adjusting to and discovering where it truly is is made in association with the Sightless Cinema Network and is funded by the Arts Council. Well, have a watch that talks to me. Today is September 12, year 2023. <laughs> the challenge that we've set ourselves, what can we do with 30 blind people on stage to make a live audio play for the audience? OK, out, 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 little rabbit. Out. Are you OK? I heard screaming. I'm not OK and you're late again, Patricia. What's wrong? This thing about noises and sounds and all, that's all new to me. And to always say to me, like, what the f*** am I doing? The whole process that I use with Sightless Cinema is, you know, taking people from the start and just ask them to throw themselves in the deep end, give things a try. I worked until my visual impairment and that retired me. But I loved working and my, I mean, it was my centre of my life and then it was gone. Well, it gets me out of bed and it gets me to 
gives me something to look forward to every Tuesday morning. We're probably bringing together on stage the most amount of blind and visually impaired people who have been together on the stage in Ireland before. The challenge is set to create a radio play for a live audience in November. So what might a radio play sound like? Well, the BBC's Goon Show is one to start with. This is the BBC Home Service. Big Brother is watching you. Oh! <laughs> Listeners, you are warned. This program is not to be listened to. <laughs> so just like the Goon Show, everything will be done live. Sound effects, music, voice, the lot. And it's all Kieran Taylor's idea from Sightless Cinema. The whole process that I use with Sightless Cinema is, you know, taking people from the start and just ask them to throw themselves in the deep end, give things a try, there's no right or wrong. You're not acting, you're just having a conversation. Then you start to develop ideas from that, from whatever just comes out randomly. Now let's begin. The workshops have just started. It's February. We're in the Dunhamay's Art Centre in Portleash, where 12 members have gathered. All have various levels of blindness. In the early stages, Kiron asked them to think about sound and the sounds they hear outside, so they can build stories from that sound. In this case, it's a bird. What the scenario might be, or what might happen, you know, or the different interaction with the, uh, the scenario of the bird. What, what would you add to it? What would, you, what would it need? What, what, where do you think it could go? Like when, when the bird is in, in the kitchen, you could have crashing noises of plates yeah, hitting the floor yeah. and yeah. stuff falling off yeah, shelves. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, gender mayhem. Yeah, the question is, how do you get that fear across? Like, how, how would you...? You'd put in a screen there. It's a group reaction. Bird comes in and everybody goes... <laughs> and just like that, he had them all talking about the bird. And that's where the story begins. Um, Noreen, I'm still outside. Are you inside? Did you get rid yeah, of the bird? Yeah, stay there now. I'm trying to get him out here. Okay. Come on, fella. <laughs> Come on. I'm really enjoying this and mixing with people and acting out scenes and listening to them making scenes. It's wonderful. What am I going to do? I'm terrified the bird. Oh, oh no, he's coming in the window. Go away, bird, go away. Oh, I get under the breakfast bar. From Port Leash, this is Deirdre Honan, who actually does have a fear of birds. What, what do you enjoy most? Is it um, the creation of it or is it the meeting of people? The meeting people, the company and Kieran giving us and building up things, a bit of theatre that I wouldn't be familiar with. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. What, what did you learn so far that you might not have come across before? Yeah, what I learned? Well, I'm able to talk now a bit better. I was always good at talking, but I'm a bit better at it now. And mixing with people and acting out scenes and listening to them making scenes. It's wonderful. And I'm looking forward then that he's, Kieran is bringing down another group, a totally different group, and we'll be mixing with them and hearing their ideas. Being part of a group is nice. So tell me about your, your everyday life. I worked until my visual impairment, and that retired me. I worked a Tuesday, surgery a Wednesday, in February 2020, and no work since. And I worked years and years and years. But I loved working, and my, I mean, it was my centre of my life, and then it was gone. Where did you work? I'm a GP. Oh. Yeah. So I worked in Portly in a practice okay. that I set up years ago in 1985. So what happened with your, what did you... With my eyes, um, I had 
glaucoma in my left eye for some years. But I was managing away because I had a very good right eye. And suddenly in February 2020, I developed a retinal detachment where the back of my eye came up. And I'm very bad and it's just got progressively worse. Have you sight in your left eye? No sight in either eye, no. no. I have a tiny speck in my left eye. I can I can see your um, your outline. I can see that you you have earphones on yeah. and you're wearing glasses. That's right. Yeah. How did you deal with it? Badly, be honest. I found it very hard going, but I had hope, you see. Kept The hope kept me going for a while. And then when I suddenly kind of, when I, when I did realise after five surgeries that... Whatever the consultant said to me that he th- thought it would improve that, but I could never see. So I said, well, if I can't see, there's really not much hope. I live on my own um, in a, in a two-storey house, but I'm able to manage the stairs. I'm able to manage the house. I can't cook, though. And I loved cooking and I loved entertaining and that's all gone. I loved people and talking. That That's grand, but, I mean, I can't go out the front door on How my do you own. manage cooking then now? Um, well, I've a I've very nice lady with me, Deirdre. She's another Deirdre. She's with me for 35 years while I was working. Right. While my husband worked abroad, abroad and the children were small and that. And she stayed. She's right your lady. right-hand lady. Uh, your yeah, yeah. Yeah. She does lots of... She does everything, really. Do you know, I, I don't go to the practice anymore. I miss yeah. it terribly, yeah. But I can't see my garden. I loved the garden. I can't see the flowers or I can't see... You could come in and say to me, what do you think of that? I can't see it. Patricia, Deirdre, come out from under there and look at the rabbits. No, 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 I hate his eyes. Get rid of him, get rid of him. Okay, come on, little rabbit. Oh, little rabbit, out you go. Is he out? Is he out? Gone. Featuring Deirdre, Trish, and Marion, that piece was called The Uninvited Guest. It's April, and the next stage is to teach them rhythm and chorus with the help of Celtic women's singer Deirdre Shannon. You know, I've been trying things out with the various groups and, and, and certain ideas are sort of sticking and I'm trying to find a way to, to what, what ties it all together. And, you know, they miss being able to see and they miss what they, they could do. And this is about opening a whole new world and go, well, there's, there's lots of other ways that you can enjoy the world and you can be creative and, and you can use sound to evoke the sound of the voice, you know, the resonance in the body of sounds. All of these things are, are very powerful. And that's something that we'll be working on in, with, you know, when we have, you know, 28 or 30 people on stage, it's going like, well, what sound can we make together that, that gives this sort of emotional resonance, you know? I'd really spit out the D. And come in sooner on that second do Like it's almost like it creeps up on you. Okay, try that again. Okay, try that again. 
it's like there's a very definite pulse in that. It was like, and it kind of brings your even in your heartbeat, you know. And you have to internally make the pulse. You have to be almost kind of one, two, three, four, and it makes you come alive because every bit of your body feels the pulse. That's great. You know, when, so when you're all chatting there on top of the rhythms, but the rhythm was keeping going underneath. And that's, what's, that's what singing in the choir is as well, you know, it's like that suddenly all the disparate voices become one, you know. Have you always been blind? No, no, I mean, uh, uh, this, this may come in to be five years. Backstage, I meet Jer McHugh from Leash, a former biker and professional gardener. He's brought to rehearsals every week by his dad, John. Back in 2018, I had a stroke. I suppose technically that sped up the, the loss of the eyesight. Like. So that was my entire life destroyed. I take things in my stride, so it's like, yeah, sure. Another little complications or whatever. Like. Really? First of many, sure. But keep going. Where, where did you get that from? The awful up there behind you. <laughs> and would you have a good relationship with your dad? He brings you here. Oh, he's great, yeah. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Fairness him. He's no real choice because he, he had me like so. He, he stuck with me. Can't trade me in for a new model. Like. John's biggest worry is what will happen to Jer if he's not around. We go golfing next Saturday. Like, he can't see or hit the ball, but it's great fun watching him clubbing the ground. So do you have to guide him then when he's... Yeah, everywhere. He's gone. He wasn't as bad as this all the time. He's gone very, very blind. He's in a grey area the whole time. He's putting it down to a bit of blindness and a stroke, or a stroke rather, then blindness. But in fact, he also had a, a subcranial bypass, and I think that probably shocked us more because going for the operation to join an artery and a vein inside in his head. Other than that, he he he, he would be dead. I'm 76. His mother is 74. We're not going to last an awful lot longer. And we would feel that maybe if we're not there, he's more or less on his own, that's it. There's nobody with him now today. The, the, the girl comes to him in the morning, so she's not there today to make a sandwich and do keep an eye on If he's getting a shower, she's there while he's in the shower. But um, do you get tired? Who me? Yeah, yeah, I do occasionally. Like I've had a lot of health problems myself. We still stay going. We're fine. He, but I know he can manage himself. Like it just means that that it's a little tougher on him. Technically, it should be me looking after them, or me going up and doing the garden for them, or me doing bringing in the bags of coal or whatever it is. Instead, it's the other way around. Like, he worries about me. To what extent, I don't know. I think they probably weren't, they probably over-worry, like. Yes. Where I'm kind of going, look, if I f***ing carcature, I carcature, well, it, like, I'll be grand. I'll be less ass than everybody, like. Jer has two daughters, Sarah and Maeve. Like, I, I know what Sarah looks like, because she, she's an older woman, like. It's grand. And even the likes of Maeve, I know what she looks like. But Maeve, Maeve was five when I had the stroke. Like, it's now five years later. I know she's ten. I've a rough idea what she looks like, but only a very rough idea. Like when she's a teenager, I'll have no idea how pretty or not pretty she is. Like, I won't have a clue. Like, Jeremy Q speaking of his daughters in part two, building a story from the everyday life of being blind and having a magical moment in Houston Station. 
You're listening to Are You Blind or What? A radio documentary with Anne-Marie Kelly following the journey of a large group of blind or visually challenged people who have to make a radio play for a live audience. The month is May and we're on our first trip to Dublin on the train from Port Leash. In the Civic Theatre in Talla, Ciarán is waiting to bring all three groups together, Navan, Talla and Port Leash, to extract their own stories for the live play. And first, Jer is talking about the blind apps on his phone. Okay, Google. What is the weather forecast? It'll be partly cloudy, with a high of 18 and a low of 8. I can kind of highlight what's on the phone and it's a call out, whatever is there in front of me. How do you do that? You tap something? Yeah, there's a little kind of a, a thing, thing down at the bottom of the, the, the screen. Now you you can't see it. I can't see it either. But I just it's just that I, I know I know where. No, you can't feel it. But I just I just know where it is. Well, I mean, I know about some apps called Be My Eyes. Have you got that one? On I your have book? that one. Yeah. If I was say say for argument's sake, I was looking up a, a, a piece of written work. Okay. Is that a tin of peas or a tin of a tin, oh, tin of carrots? Like right. I can I can call the Be My Eyes app. And there's a, a person like yourself who will come onto the phone, you'll hold the phone out, and they'll be able to hear you talking. And you'll say, Jeremy Q, sharing tips about the apps on his phone with the group Marion, Kathleen, and Val. Val is 83. He recently moved to Port Leash from Spain, and his near miss of the Port Leash train forms a big part of the story, as you'll hear later on. And so far, how have you found. The cyclist cinema. Are you enjoying it? I am, I am, and I'm, you know, I'm not that interested. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it gets me out of my apartment. And once I once I take an interest, I follow it through. I've been at every session, and I haven't missed a session yet. So I, I'm not an actor, but I'm a chancer. And Val nearly missed the train this morning. I left the apartment at five to eight, plenty of time to get a bus, and I walked down the avenue to the main road. And I was waiting there, and uh, uh, a good few buses came, but they were all school buses. So eventually a bus came at 20 past eight. And Val's near train miss helps Kieran build a story. We don't have a play as such yet. We're looking for the play. We're searching for the play. We have a sort of a team and a whole series of ideas from stories that I've heard from you recently and some in the past. Well, they say you find magic in the simple things in life. As Val retells his story to Kieran, they build sound effects and chorus around him. Like, like it's happening now. I'm running for the train. And if can everyone repeat it? I'm running for the train. So you're going to do one line at a time, Val, OK? The phone rings. I'll talk to you then. I'm at the station now and oh jeez I've a load of stairs to go give me a chance and I can tear that okay good 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 other members share their own stories of the difficulty of getting from A to B like Barry you might walk into Ann Summers instead of Abracadabra and ask for the five euro special (laughs) true story Barry isn't it Uh, Moira you gave us a story about the bus man who says um, is this bus going to Dublin he said can you not read oh yeah yeah Yeah. he's very rude Ger you told us the story of uh, 
you were you were doing your insulin and then you lost the needle on the ground. And you've got a little um, kind of a pen, yeah. but you screw on the needle on yeah. top, yeah. and you have a couple of covers to take off the needles. Yeah. That was grand, so I put them into the into the bin as proper, like. And then I unscrewed the needle, and I thought I had it over the hole in the sharps bucket, but it wasn't over the hole in the sharps bucket. It was over the the edge of the press yeah. and next thing it landed on the floor so mm. of course I had to go around and find the needle on, on the ground yeah. stuck in my finger have oh, found no. you could have had a magnet yeah. and you don't have a magnet no and this well, if I lose anything I have to get down on my knees yeah. and Crawl on the floor. Well, that's that's that. Do you not have everything with you that you need? No. No, my rucksack is not that big. I'd have to crawl around. I have to get down on my knees, especially if I'm on the house on my own yeah. and I lose something. Yeah. And like, I can often hear it falling, but yeah. it's not always there when no. you not think, think it's falling. It yeah. like, 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 for instance, like my earring was blowing my head the other day and the earring went flying. I said, right, I know immediately where it was. But it wasn't anywhere I thought it was. I had to get down on all fours. Well, it's becoming much clearer to Kiran that there's plenty of stories to draw from and there's a pattern forming. Stories of getting from A to B, a simple mistake of dropping a needle or an earring. On the lunch break, I meet two members from the Tala group, John O'Brien from Wicklow and Martin Kelly from Newbridge. Yeah. Come in, come, huddle in. Uh, so Martin is, what, you're from the Tala group? The ta- I'm from the ta- talented group. Taliban. What's your name? John O'Brien, but I live in Wicklow. I'm Martin Kelly and I come from a place called Newbridge in County Kildare, the thoroughbred county. Well, we only got to know yeah. each other because we went, yeah. well, Martin got completely blind. Yeah, yeah. I only lost my sight, so I can see a bit. So how did you lose your sight? I had a stroke. Recently? Ah, uh, about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. I was in rehab in Dundee for a year till I got back on my feet. I didn't know who I was. Right. I was that far gone. But now, sure, I'm, well, I won't say I'm back to normal. I'm not who I was going to be. I used to do a lot of hill walking and running in the mountains and cycling. And sure, it's very difficult to do those things now. But your, your attitude is good, is it? You're positive. Ah, yes, is I'm very positive. good, Martin? You have to have a positive attitude, yeah. yeah. Martin, yeah. were you uh, blind? I have an eye disease. OK. I used to play football. I was represented Ireland at the Paralympics. Really? Yeah, back in the 80s. And so since then, it's, become, it's got worse and worse, has it? Ah, yes, yes, yeah, it's a progressive eye disease, yeah. yeah. And how do you cope with that? Try to be as active, because I was married, but my wife passed away, so I'm on my own now, so, so I have to try and... You know. And so with voices then, like mine. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very astute when it comes to people, and I listen. I do listen to people. You see, like inside, I do be listening to what Kieran's saying. You have to listen. You see. And that's a great trait, anyway. Well, I was a telephonist, you see, as I was progressing. So, so you have to listen. Yes. And picking, I'm grateful. I'm John, I'm grateful for the numbers. If you give me your mobile number, I'd remember it. Okay. Don't give me your mobile number. <laughs> <laughs> he need to record it. He'll have it. Don't well, I'm going to give you a number now of a of a. Talon Motors, right? 01451-7447. I'll ask you in a few minutes' time. How do you process that, Martin? Just, I'm trying to register in my head, you see. Yeah. yeah. You see, What's that number? Yeah. Do you remember the number? Yeah. Go on. 541-7447. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, you're, you're both quite energetic in the group. You're bringing a great energy with you. But we try to, though. Do you ever go to dark places? What does that mean? Oh, we're in the dark. Yeah, we're in. You are in the dark. Yeah. I, mean, I meant in your mind. Yeah, I know. No, no, I don't allow it. Because the men's group I go to, that's the first thing the lady says, what number are you at today? I said, I'm always ten, because I don't want to go any lower. Are you always ten? Try Are you ever at five? I can't even remember being at five. Oh, maybe when my wife died, yeah. <coughs> I didn't go out for two years. After she died? Yeah. How did you get out of that rush then? 
first thing was Giant Sightless Cinema, strangely enough. Sightless Cinema? Yeah. That was the first thing I did. And then you, was it a realisation then, this is how I'm well, going to... That's how you meet people when you're out and about. If you stay in your house, you meet nobody. That's true, isn't mm, it? Mm, yeah. And where did you grow up? In the Cora camp. The, so you have a bit of rural so? nature in you. Yeah. Very much so. I can milk cows and goats. Do you know why the farmers have a three-legged stool for making a cow? Bet you won't know this. I don't know. Why? The cow has the udder. That's true, John. He's, he knows that. He's from Dublin. Do you know this about chickens? The oak of an egg. Where were you from, did you say? Uh, leash. Yeah, but did they say when your mother was around, did she say the oak of an egg is or are white? What word did is. she use? Is white. Is, yeah. So yeah, say the sentence, the oak of an egg the is. The oak of an egg is white. Well, it's it's fully in winter or they're yellow? I'm not going to leash for eggs. Are they? Oh, it's, it's yellow. yellow. Oh, it's <laughs> I better bring you back in. better. John O'Brien and Martin Kelly from the Tala Group telling me egg jokes. After a big day, the Portleash Group arrive back in Houston Station to get the Portleash train. Val spots the public piano. He grabs Marion and she starts to play. Unaware, a large crowd gathers round her. Rocking back and forth at the piano, the audience, unaware of their blindness, all are in full flight, carried away by the moment. What is it? Remember, remember me by, by Christy Hennessy. Self-taught. I mean, I play by ear, you know. Are you gone, Val? Are you gone? Yeah, no, I'm sitting there. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm amazed. I I heard it being played. I just wanted to go over and have a go at sitting down at it. So that was nice. It was the first time I ever did that. But I've passed through Houston Station on many occasions. I would have wanted to do that. So that's the very first time I had the opportunity to do that and the courage to do it. Well, there was lots of joy, wasn't there, Val, on people's faces? People were smiling and clapping. Oh, yes. Strangers. Yeah. They were smiling and clapping, and one gentleman was listening at the very beginning, and uh, he stayed there, and he came over to me, and he says, oh, she plays beautiful. And I said, thanks very much. You see, I have to go now. But he shook me hand and said, that lady plays beautiful. So I told uh, Marion that, and she was delighted. Yeah, it's beautiful. It was a lovely moment, I thought, to end the day. Bit of fun, yeah. heard she was going to lose her sight at the age of 23. It was described to me as, uh, at the time, can you 
imagine a mirror, you know, and the silver on a mirror, oh, yeah. right? And then the central part of the silver is gone. Right. And he said, and that's gradually going. And I said, all right, thank you, and left. And it was only when I was en route uh, back home that something started to dawn on me, that it was, at that time, described to me as a degenerative eye condition. That was it. That's the way it was told to me. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? They said, well, we don't know the cause of this, and we don't know. There is no treatment available. So you more or less have to learn to live with it. And I said, and what does that mean in real terms? And they said, well, uh, you you know, could you lose your eyes? Is this you're losing your eyes? And they said, well, yes. And I said, and, and how long will this take? And they said, well, we don't really know. Like, it was all very honest, Anne-Marie. But, you know, when you're only uh, in your early 20s, that came for me immediately as a shock. I thought, well, I haven't travelled. You know, maybe what you should do is just carry on with your life, go here, there and yonder. If and when you lose your eyesight, that you will be able to live off your memories. And that worked for me. What I did is I enjoyed what I could see. That's the way I lived. Luckily for me, it was a, a gradual deterioration of sight loss, which meant I was adapting all the time without almost realising I was doing it. So I was very lucky, Anne-Marie. I had a good... Each person has a challenge of some kind or other to deal with. And uh, this was mine. You know, some people would say, oh, I'd hate to lose my eyesight, but I'm happy with it because it's part of me. Well, I have to say the highlight of my day was here in Marion playing the piano in Houston Station, <laughs> especially after waltzing and so on. So... Did you think you got a lot out of the experience? Oh, you had a great day. But it's, it's amazing how sound can change your perspective of whatever what's go, actually going on. Like, I, I think a lot of it is more that he's encouraging us to use our own stories. Like, he's he's taken all our different versions of different stories that we've all had or gone through or whatever else, and then he's combining that all into kind of one bigger mess. <laughs> You're listening to the making of Are You Blind or What? a live radio play made by the blind and visually impaired. Coming up, the water boy's Steve Wickham shares a moment with Sean he'll never forget. So, Chair, we're back on the train. Yeah, again. <laughs> October the 16th today. Yeah, yeah. We're doing the, the kind of the, the format for the live performance, like oh. to kind of get which way the play, play is going to be or what the play is going to be. And what is the play going to be? It, it, it's, it's called Are You Blind or What? It's October 16th. Summer has passed and we're back on the train to Dublin. Steve Wickham of the Waterboys fame has joined the group supplying fiddle and guitar and today's warm-up. Everything's gonna be alright. Everything's gonna be alright. Don't worry about a thing. So, uh, very welcome again. Thanks for making the journey. Great to see you all. We're missing a few characters. We'll try and concentrate on sort of sections today. 
try, try and build up towards an, a, an overall structure and peace. So Steve is with us again today. Say hello, Steve. Hello, everybody. We're going to get you all singing today. So. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we might even start with that. I woke up this morning, starting to rain. Stayed in the bed, late for the train. And we'll work up a verse and then we'll figure out a verse. It's fascinating, really, you know, when you hang out with a group of people, you start to see the world through their eyes, or literally, or not through their eyes. I mean, I've been having these strange dreams about, you know, being blind, actually, over the last three weeks. Amazing. And uh, just kind of thinking about, oh, wow. Oh, this is what 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 it faces. I mean, it's ridiculous. I can't. I'm, I'm perfect sight. You start to empathise, I suppose, with people. I love the train, though. I think the train it conjures up so many great images. Well, we had a trip, a couple of trips on the train, because we had to travel down from Houston Station to Port Leash. It doesn't make that sound anymore, but it's the sound that we make. You know the. Trains don't make that sound anymore, they're perfectly silent, but psychologically we know what we're talking about if you hear that sound, even if you're, even if you're a kid. It's a combination of theatre and, and uh, radio, because nobody's moving on the stage, so it's like a, it's like a radio play, really. it's like a live radio play, is, is really what it is. OK, I'll come back to you. You won't try it again. Ah. Oh. And then from Burnley onwards, around the lads up here. Kieran Taylor is helping Barry and the group fine-tune their sound effects and timings. We're going to combine a couple of journeys. So I might actually use your one there, Barry, um, that sort of route. So it's along the wall, the grass. It's a very good insight into how somebody who is reasonably impaired would have to, you know, 50 yards of grass on the left-hand side on the wall. So it's the day before my wedding. I'm walking through town. Passing Abbey Street Lewis stop, just about to cross the tracks, on my way to get a haircut. Yep, coming Didn't up to the... they put up a new pole for the Cross City Lewis? Didn't realise they put up a new pole for the Cross City Lewis. And so everybody ow when you hear the bang. So, so didn't, didn't uh, realise they put up a new pole for the Cross City Lewis. Bang, ow. Oh. So really wallop it there. Um, uh, Okay, and Barry. I did, 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 no, no, wait for Barry. Yeah. Just a bang. Is so when, Barry. You, when you hear, <laughs> I didn't realise. When you hear Cross City Lewis, bang. bang. Yeah. I didn't know they put up a new pole for the Cross City Lewis. Oh. <laughs> Val, as usual, prefers to use his own script. So Val, I've made it to the bus stop. I've made it to the bus stop. If you're going to Port Leash, you can't get on this bus. And now we start the heavy breathing. Val, but there's no bloody taxis. And there's no, there's no bloody taxis. So I'll have to start walking. I have to start making a run for it. And I'm <laughs> I'll have to start making a run, run for it. <laughs> I'll make a run for it. So I'm going to have a feckin' heart attack. Jeez, I'll have a feckin' heart attack before this. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I get to the station. I, I get to the station. Oh, the bloody stairs! Up the stairs, holy Jesus. I can, hear, I can hear the train coming. 
I'm fucking trainers on the other side. Trainers on the other side, and I'm still on this side. Fuck's sake, I'll get the lift. It's the 9am for Houston. It's the 9am for Houston. And everybody, get on the train, come on. I made it. I made it. Thank God. Okay, and okay, Sean, lead us off and everybody join in then. Bob Marley's Three Little Birds will be the final song in the live show. Back on the train home to Port Leash, Sean Byrne talks of a moment of magic he had with Steve Wickham. So, Sean, <laughs> how did you find today? I found it, it was great, yeah. It was uh, very intense, mm. but it was great, yeah, meeting the other group from Dublin and the group from Navin. And you sang with Steve Wickham, I believe. Uh, oh, Steve Wickham sang with me. Okay. <laughs> I did. And it was, it was, a, a, it was a, an absolute honour to play and just one song with Steve Wickham. Uh, yeah, it, was a, it really was. It was amazing, yeah. And was it an impromptu? Was it was impromptu. He just handed me the guitar. And that's a Spanish guitar, which is probably more difficult to play because it's a wider neck. Right. But I gave it a couple of drums, and the first thing came to my mind was So Long Mary Ann, the Leonard Cohen song. And I sang it, and then Steve did a solo on the fiddle as well. It was lovely. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Another unplanned moment of beauty featuring music again and Marion is at the centre singing in full voice with Sean playing the Spanish guitar and Steve Wickham can't resist playing his fiddle alongside them. like that that are so different than any, anything you could ever be involved in it's, it's impromptu and it's not rehearsed and it's not practiced and it's just yeah you just go for it yeah yeah that's and that, yeah that's that's the way i like it <laughs> it's coming very near to the performance like, would you be worried about it or thinking about it or the one thing about i've noticed about this Anne marie and it's 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 difficult to do an acting part when you can't read a script. So you have to try and remember everything. And that's where... Uh, uh, yeah, he's very good at that because he keeps prompting you and telling you what to say. And it's, like, it's like a massive big jigsaw and it's going to be put together. So it'll be interesting to see what the, what the end result is going to be like. Yeah. But things you miss when you're, when you're vision impaired. Yes. I used to love pottering around at home. Get the lawnmower out. I miss that terribly, yeah. Especially when the weeds are walking around the garden and you know the weeds are gone, so <laughs> you can't trade a bullet. But the other thing I miss as well, I have two granddaughters. One in Galway, Molly, she's three years old. 
and Russia is in Montreal. Now, we'll see them fairly often. We'll see Molly every month nearly, and Russia every other day as well. But you miss not being able to see them. Yeah. They're there and they're sitting on your lap and you're chatting to them and they're chatting with me. And, but the fact that you can't see them. Yeah, can't see them growing. And how, yes. Growing. Yeah. But then you're terrified when you're walking around the house if Molly's there. In case you walk into her. Yeah, of course. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but you miss not being able to see them. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well, you probably have a mental image of them, do you? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah. And I would have, I would have seen Molly, I would have been able to see her a year and a half ago, because I had some little bit of vision. Yeah. But I had surgery last year. And during the surgery, the retina had been attached. So I lost the sight. That's tough going. That was tough going, all right, yeah. yeah. Your sister is here with you today. Bernie, isn't it? Yeah. This is your second time to come with the group. Do you like coming? It's nice to actually just help out. But I can see, you know, that vision impaired people need somebody there to give them a hand. Uh, it's very, very difficult uh, when they're going to a new place, especially travelling, travelling on the train, um, getting onto the Lewis. You know, they need somebody there with them to guide them. Um, and it's very difficult, especially when the trains are crowded. Houston Station is crowded. But it's actually very nice to attend. This man here, Val, is a terrific help to everybody. Val, you asleep, are you? Well, halfway there, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you seem to really, you're very much yourself. You yeah. you, uh, you have your feet in the ground. I do, yes, yeah. I savour, I think, but I'm alive and kicking and not bad for 83. You're having, you're having a very good life. Uh, I have a very uh, quiet life now at the moment. I only go out once, once when my son comes down we go for a few points and a meal in our garments and we enjoy that and have a, a good yap and see how my exes are doing and he gives me all, all the info. To wash my Another moment of magic with Sightless Cinema, featuring Sean Byrne from Mount Rath, his sister Bernie and Val. Coming up, the final rehearsal and a standing ovation. It's the final performance day in the Dunhamay's Art Centre. The date, 24th of November. Kieran Taylor is standing in front of them very proudly, reading audience feedback. They've just performed in Tallah's Civic Theatre and in Navan, and it's the final day where they'll perform in the Dunhamay's Art Centre. Really brought home what it's like to be without sight. Very touching, but what a positive response. Thank you. Also to remember, they are just like the rest of us. <laughs> Whoa, she figured it out. <laughs> what did you like? We liked the spooky parts. Also, also the end, seeing everyone united and enjoying themselves. So that's important. Keep smiling. An amazing experience. My husband is blind. Uh, I liked all of it. So relatable, funny, serious, true to life. And so what would be Kieran Taylor's favourite moment after all these months? What we're waiting for tonight is, you know, that, that audience coming in, you know, because the journey is very important. But the end of the journey is, is really 
what the journey is all about as well. It makes sense of the journey. It's like, this is the moment, yes, when we've created something that is genuinely entertaining. There's this sense of communality. And that's what theatre is all about, is really is coming together, creating meaning together. Everything is about this moment. Because that's what I'm interested in. That's my artistic uh, mission is when people come together to, to generate meaning together by being together and listening to each other. That's what I'm about. It doesn't matter who I'm doing it with, you know. I just happen to be doing it with blind people from all around the country. <laughs> How can I really get an audience to be really together and, and feel something and learn something from each other? And now, Sightless Cinema Network presents Are You Blind or What? I rely every day on the help of strangers. I lock my front door and now it's ten steps to the garden gate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I jump over the gate. Jump over the gate. Now it's 40 steps to the manhole cover. Grass on my left for the next 50 steps. <coughs> I hit a bin. Ah, oh, I must get around it. Now where was I? 10, no, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Damn it, I've lost my count. I'm going to miss my train. Another bin. When you experience it properly and close your eyes and realise, you know, they have to live through their, through their mind, they have to live through make-believe, they have to live through all those things. You are listening to Morning Ireland. It's half past eight and now it's time for the news. Something hot spilling on my foot. My coffee! <laughs> <Feckin> agent. <laughs> <laughs> It was very good, like, and so it's just someone like me can't see the action, but, but like with the great sound effects, I was, to, I was able to, you know, visualize and follow the story and to, and to enjoy it, you know, you know, so found it good, yeah. I rely every day on the help of strangers. Community worker from the NCBI, Nicola who encouraged the members to join Sightless Cinema. I've seen snippets of it, but seeing it all together was just something else. It was really brilliant. I think the song at the end just really made it. Baby, don't worry about a thing. And Marion, she's such a beautiful yeah. singer. And she'd never let on. You know, when you speak to her, you'd have no idea. No, it was really brilliant. And to see them smiling, like everybody's just so happy and so proud of themselves, like they should be. And all their families here, their friends are here. I think it's just brilliant. It really is. Jeremy Q's mum, Vera. I felt it was amazing because we'd, like, John would have been with him regularly and he'd tell me little bits, but when you see it all together, the finale with every one of the cast there, it was very moving. And I, what I found was that it made you think, you know, like, uh, I'm going to miss my train or my bus and I'm going to... Um, you, you hear them bumping into, you know, what we all take for granted. I'm going to be late. Oh, no, the bin lorry. I forgot it was bin day. I'm going to miss my train. 
And like, it's really only two years since Gerald has lost his sight, so it's all new to us. I have to say, he's, he's discovered a whole new, uh, <laughs> a whole new like, circle of friends. It was very good. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Um, quite funny, some of them. Yeah, so, and the horse and no jockey. Got a good old chuckle out of that one, so the, the bit that got the giggle for me was the three in one oil. Oh, Jesus, it's three and one. I told you that there was a smell of engine oil off it. Jesus, what are you doing? Oh! I should do one now. Oh, Jesus. Now I do you as well, Mrs. with the knee. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I tell you, I won't be going for a massage with three and one oil. <laughs> loved it. No, loved it. I didn't know what to expect coming here. It was like listening to a radio play. It was like, um, Seekham and Milligan back on stage. It was... They were superb. They were brilliant. I have to say that, that, that I was quite emotional towards the end, particularly the last piece. As somebody with full vision and um, all my senses, that you just don't think, just don't realise what these people go through every day just to get out and about. It's powerful. It was great to see the craft of what they do, the whole team and how well they pull together. Even in the one with the, the uh, say, the robin, the, the leash one where the robin's in the kitchen. Oh, 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 now he's moved away from me. Oh, my God. Where is he? Oh, oh there he is. Out, 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 out. Oh, he's going, he's going. Oh, dear, dear. Spending time with people who are losing or who have lost the ability to see outward has made me realise the place to see or feel the best light is actually within us. You become much more aware of it when you're in the dark. I also learned that there is hidden beauty in the everyday things, like the piano in Houston Station, or making someone laugh. To borrow a line from The Little Prince, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Special thanks to Cyclist Cinema Network, Dunamay's Arts Centre, and this programme was funded by the Arts Council. Original soundtrack, Steve Wickham, and the original pieces in this documentary, written by Sharon and Paula Grant on piano and violin. Thank you for listening. Are we going to call her a day or what the f***? something like that. Um, I'm writing that down now. <laughs> Are we going to call it a night? Or what? The bleep.